0: Welcome to the Mike
1: Avedere Show. This is your host, Mike Avedere. Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2020. And what that means is that football is upon us. Not quite the NFL yet, but we've got college football galore playing tonight. Not something I say very often, definitely not on Thursday shows, but they've got a, a, I wouldn't say a full billing of college football games, but we got about, I think, 20 or so on the slate. So super excited to usher back in college football. There's a lot of pretty good matchups tonight. It's not like all a bunch of random non-conference duds. You know, you even have like Penn State and Purdue tonight on Fox. Starts in about 45 minutes. Uh, we got Pitt in West Virginia. Um A lot, lot of fun matchups this evening that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, even some of the West Coast schools like Fresno State are playing tonight. Uh Michigan and Colorado State—not a matchup you see very often, but definitely I like it when you have these, uh, you know, cross-conference matchups. What I don't like is when when you have like an Alabama playing, you know, a team that's that's like an unheard-of team from a totally bizarre conference that they're going to win, you know, eighty to seven. That doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. I don't even know why they bother uh, doing those practice games where they annihilate them. I understand why they do them from the smaller school's perspective because they get money. (laughs) But for the players that are playing in them, my goodness. You know, yeah, it's kinda cool to play against Alabama. But you know what's not cool? It's not cool losing seventy to (laughs) three. That that is not that is definitely that's not something that's cool. Definitely not something that you're gonna tell your grandkids with pride, but you'll probably tell them as a joke, you know, by the way, we were one of those teams that lost got steamrolled. By an 80 points, but we covered the spread. Spread is 90. Covered the spread, (laughs) anyways. So, let's talk football, football, and more football. We're gonna talk a little bit of horse racing as well. We're gonna bring a guest that we come have come on the show fairly regularly, but she is now at ESPN. Kat Terrell. So we'll congratulate her about moving over to the worldwide, uh, now worldwide sports leader. Uh, so she'll be joining us probably in about 10 minutes or so. Kat Terrell. She also used to cover horse racing. So we'll talk a little bit of TVG Pacific Classic, the, uh, feature race of the entire meet for Del Mar. Um, and, uh, we'll talk some Saints football because she's uh, covered the Saints for many years and knows that team inside out, but she also covers the NFL as a whole. So we'll be talking about that. Fantasy Football League's drafts are well on their way. actually had one last night, got uh, several next week. Perhaps some of you guys that are listening are uh, drafting over the weekend or or sometime next week, or maybe even drafting with me. Uh, But I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from everybody as to, how their drafts went, who are their sleeper picks? You know, I think what's uninteresting for people to hear are your individual stories about your matchups and how you know. Sometimes there's these these legendary ones though, right? Where I remember like one year I was down by like 39 going into the uh, last game that I had a player going, which was Sunday night football, and it was you know you're done. You're down by 39. It's not going to happen. Uh, but I had George Kittle going anyways, I kid you not, he went for forty one I believe <laughs> so I ended up winning that game by two i could i couldn't believe it, but outside of a couple of rare stories like that, most people really aren't interested in in hearing about your uh hard luck losses, you know, uh, but people love talking about them and uh and uh, see, I think if you've played at least three years or more, you've probably experienced every scenario anyway, so there's almost nothing that somebody's going to tell you that's new, that's new or, or, or that exciting, really. So anyways, uh, but I think what people do care about or what they're interested in hearing about are who are some of the sleeper picks. Um, I I know a lot of these articles that you read will will focus a lot on who to avoid, excuse me, my voice cracked there a little bit, who to avoid, which players to, um, Use early picks on, mid picks on, late picks on. If you're in an auction draft, a lot of articles will give you an indicator as to how much uh, each player goes for. But one thing none of these articles do, especially in the auction leagues with salary caps, is give you a good sense of how much to allocate for each position, Right, like your 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 receiver group, you should allocate, you know, whatever forty percent to them, or or fifty percent to your receivers and tight ends combined, and you know, uh, and quarterbacks combined, and then fifty percent to your quarterback or running backs or or whatever. They don't really give you that sense at all, which is a little surprising to me because in baseball they do. Baseball, there's a lot of articles out there about how to break it down. Um, the percentage of your cap, how much it should go towards your pitching staff, how much out of the pitching staff it should go to your starters, how much should it go to your closers, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, you know, maybe even even down to, you know, you, you probably want to allocate, you know, 35% of your salary cap to power hitters, home run hitters, that type of thing. Don't really give you much of a sense for it in football. Just have at it, you know. And so, what you'll find in some of these auction leagues is people really go nutso for running backs. They really go crazy for for the top tier running backs, you know, Dalvin Cook and Travis Henry, and you know guys like that. It keeps something in mind: just about every top tier running back, Christian Kirk, you know, you can go down the list and name them. Just about every single one has been hurt, at missed games in 2022. Me, 2021. So the question is, will they stay healthy for 2022? Now, obviously, nobody knows. But one thing I will tell you that history tells us is that with NFL players, typically speaking, once you've got an injury issue or you're – I don't like to say injury prone, even though I do say that sometimes. I think it's maybe a little bit unfair. Um, because it's not like all of you know, it's not like this big old badass is like got brittle bones or something. You know, I think what you typically suggest is that you've been hit with the injury bug so many different times that you just can't stay on the field, like a Byron Buxton in baseball with the Minnesota Twins, right? He's a good example of that. But, you know, most of most of the top running backs in the NFL have missed time uh, several games. And obviously, depending on when that time is lost can make all the difference in the world in terms of how you succeed in in fantasy football. So when you, before spending all those early picks, if you're in a sneak draft or before you go totally crazy with your dollar amounts, with your salary cap on running backs, uh, just give that a thought or two. You know, the question always that I ask myself is this, if, this player gets hurt and I spent 40% of my salary cap on him, am I effed? Am I completely effed? That's always what I ask myself. Can I potentially even have a chance to win if that player goes down? Because if the answer is yes, I'm totally done. Like, for example, one of uh, my fellow fantasy colleagues did last year when he spent, uh, I think, 70 out of 200 on Christian McCaffrey. He was toast. He was like, that's it, man. He got no shot. And he didn't because he spent 35% of his whole bankroll on Christian McCaffrey. And didn't get jack squat out of them, so don't want to spend a lot of time on that point. I think you guys get what I'm saying. You know, just think twice about that. But at the same time, just letting you know, you're probably going to have to be spending 25 to 40 percent to get a top tier guy. 25 percent of 200 would be 50. Uh, So probably you know between 50, 60, 70 dollars out of your 200 cap dollars are probably going to be spent on Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler, uh Derrick Henry. I said Travis Henry earlier, didn't I? Derrick Henry is what I meant. Uh Najee Harris, Dalvin Cook, and maybe a tier slightly below that would be like uh, uh Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara, uh maybe DeAndre Swift um did I say Najee Harris you know he's probably right in that window as well so that's that's uh that's kind of my feeling after one fantasy draft so far you know later on in the show I'll give you guys a few of my sleeper picks don't want to show my hand entirely because I think I think maybe a couple of friends may listen to this show that I'm still going to be drafting with so want to at least uh don't want to give up the secret sauce entirely, but be more than happy to uh, discuss maybe some of the guys that I think could be worth a flyer on. And let's face it, depth is, is kind of what it's all about, because unfortunately, injuries are are a part of the game in football, and so a lot of times it's about how deep you are. Uh, for me, my drafts have never been exceptional where my strength is personally is in the waiver wire and transactions. Um, I've, I've always been, I kind of have a general manager mindset, so I've always been pretty good for the most part over the last few years as to, you know, finding guys that are maybe, uh, slowly moving up the depth chart until they finally, you know, they're just sitting there and everybody's like, Oh, he doesn't have a track record, but you got, you know, eight carries last week for 60 yards you know, but I'll look and see that there's maybe been a progression progression. He's getting into the games a little more. Is he earning the trust of the coaches a little more. He had three carries the week before, or one week before that, you know, he's up to eight or nine. Now, maybe he's getting a few targets reception wise, um, that type of thing. And so, uh, I've had a pretty good sense of timing as to when to grab somebody like that. Um, and before you know it, they're getting, you, you know, 14, 15, 17 fantasy points. Um, and then they do it over consecutive weeks and are now worthy of being a starter. And then I plug them in. That's kind of been my, you know, bread and butter. That's kind of been my, what I've been best on, on uh, identifying up until this point. So um, everybody's obviously got their best skill set. Some people are great drafters. Some people are great at getting depth, acquiring depth, that type of thing. Um, you know, uh, obviously focus on your strengths. You know, I've got some, um, so, some weaknesses for me, uh, I, I don't have necessarily a ton of late rounders, uh, that necessarily pan out, but at the same time, um, typically my, my upper tier does pretty well. So I build my team on safe guys. I take a lot of flyers, take a lot of chances on the middle and late. And, uh, and I quickly cut bait on them if I find that I made a mistake. And I think that's the most important thing, not to be stubborn. Uh, but at the same time, the caveat is, you know, you, you got to understand why that person's not performing. Uh, because sometimes you cut bait on them, and then they explode the week after. And then that's not, there's nothing more frustrating than that. You know, even, not, not necessarily even if you release them. I'm talking about you started somebody three weeks in a row, he didn't do nothing for you, and then you put him on the bench, and then he explodes. For example, that happened to me a couple of years ago, Sammy Watkins. And it was that game where if you guys played two years ago, he had like 38 fantasy points. Yeah, I, that was that was the game that he was on the bench for me because in the previous couple of weeks, he had like four points and seven points or something. So I was like, uh, you know, Sammy's not a really big part of this offense. Obviously, you know, he hasn't earned his quarterback's trust, obviously. And obviously, I was wrong. So, uh, you know, so anyways, Let's take a quick commercial timeout right now. We'll come back. We'll talk more about fantasy football. We'll talk more about sleepers. We'll talk more about allocation and strategy in terms of your salary cap. We'll talk more about some of my predictions as we get a little bit closer to opening day. And like I said, we got college football going on right now. If I see an excited, exciting score uh, or something that happens on the field, I uh, will let you know while we're on the air. But otherwise, we're going to be back. With a great second segment, we've got Kat Terrell from the Worldwide Leader right after this. Stay with us, everyone.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Back on the Mike Abadir Show, and we're excited to have on a guest that we've had on many times before, She's always a great conversation. She's a lot of fun to talk to, but more importantly, she really knows her stuff. She's a uh, really, really uh, good, dedicated, and, uh, you know, sports writer. Um, She's good with her analysis. She's good with getting the scoop uh, all the way around. And she is now, since the last time we've spoken, she is now with ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, she was previously with them, actually, several years back. Uh, but more recently, she was with Athletic. She also covered horse racing as well over in Louisiana. She does cover the New Orleans Saints, so we will talk some Saints football. And but we'll usher her in right now. Kat Terrell, you're on. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Doing pretty well. Thank you. I'm getting excited, like like everybody else that loves you know football and college football we've got I didn't even know until I woke up today that today was the game that had these like 20 games on I thought it was gonna be on Friday I didn't know it was on Thursday
4: yeah I actually didn't know either until I'm in this kickball league and our group text mentioned it and for some reason my brain didn't register that there was college football today and that West Virginia and Pitt have been playing for the last 30 minutes so after we talk I might actually turn that on Real football to watch. Uh, So I'm excited about it. Yeah. And
1: there's a Purdue and Penn State. And like I was saying kind of earlier when I I was giving the the opening monologue, uh, there's there's actually some fun matchups in in Michigan and Colorado State. And, you know, um, matchups where it's not just like, you know, Alabama winning by 80 against an unheard of team. Uh, there's actually some some pretty legitimate matchups that are on the the billing for tonight. Um, I, I don't like it, by the way, when when you have powerhouses that schedule these absolute cakewalks. It's not very interesting as a viewer. Um, I understand why the small schools do it for the paycheck, but I also think it's a little unfair for the players that are get steamrolled. It's not fun to lose eighty to seven. Especially, it's not even about the final score, Cat. It's typically because you're so out physical you're, like, literally getting beat up for an hour.
4: They don't always get steamrolled. You know, if I recall correctly, this time, um, 2007, I was about to try to calculate how many years ago it was, and I, couldn't, I don't even know. This time around uh, 2007, App State beat Michigan. So every once in there a blue you moon, go. you, get, you nice. get a good one. I'm with you, that's though. Right. I mean, it's also, like, the fans are paying full price, and it's just boring. And, you know, in someone that lives in Louisiana, went to LSU, love LSU, these types of games will often be at night, but if they're not, then you're sitting out in 90-degree weather watching this game that's just not very exciting, and you're paying full price for it. Like, I understand why they do it, but I'm kind of with you in that it's hard to get excited about them
1: yeah well and in my mind for whatever reason 2007 doesn't seem that long ago but that was actually 15 years ago <laughs> and, if we, and if we have to wait oh, 15 boy. years every time to, to get like a really big match uh, uh you know upset or something like that probably not necessarily worth uh, tuning in unless you're a diehard of that of that team and that's not to say that college football doesn't years. have a lot of upset. <laughs> Yeah, it's that was crazy. Like a
0: great season, though,
4: and not just because LSU won the national championship. Uh, that was just a fun season. I cannot believe it was that long ago, but from start to finish, it was so fun. I mean, it's starting that way, and then West Virginia and Pitt at the end of the season and just everything. I mean, that's the kind of thing that makes people fall in love with college football, not all these conference merry go rounds and all of that stuff. It's, you know, when you have a season like that where you have no idea what could happen from week to week. And I feel like we've kind of lost that the last few years uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded. Well,
1: the conference musical chairs, don't even get me started on that. Um, (laughs) We can talk about that. But to me, especially with some of these, like, Pac-12 schools or whatever, it's like, Uh, I can't believe that this is even being entertained, but you know what, something that was interesting that popped into my mind um, when you were talking about the LSU championship is, you know, an LSU has has won a championship more recently. It's not that often that you find a team in a 15-year period that wins multiple championships that has neither of the head coaches that took them there. You know, they've had like kind of like a bunch of head coaches. If you think about it throughout this 50 year period. Yes. Um, a bunch of
4: winning championships. You know championships. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Anyway. i actually, that thought. was the last, that was the last LSU game I saw in the dome. I'm going to the game this weekend and, uh, That was a pretty last good game uh, to have watched. Not the last game in the Dome for me completely, obviously, since I covered the Saints, but the last time I watched LSU in the Dome. Um, So maybe I should just stop there. You know, maybe I'll never see anything better than that. Maybe I shouldn't go this weekend. (laughs)
1: Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, Last always, you know, like the last game of candlestick, the last anything is always there's always kind of a special, special thing in the mindset, but we're hoping that this year produces a lot of uh, really good memories as well. And I did want to mention if this is the last year for, uh, you know, some of these conferences to remain intact, I'll tell you, I mean, are you really looking forward to seeing kind of like UCLA and Northwestern? I mean, at least even, even the matchups when the teams aren't very good, at least for me, growing up in California, Kat, you know that UCLA and Oregon State—they've they've got it. They've got—it's almost like personal between them. They've had years where any either of the team or whenever one of the teams is good, always the the lower ranked one or or the one that's having a terrible season upsets the team that's doing really well, and and kind of like. You know, those, during those random few years that UCLA starts off maybe like 7-1 or something like that, and they're really well-positioned, and then they go play at Oregon State uh, uh, up in Corvallis, and, Corvallis and, and and Oregon State knocks them off. You know, there's that kind of like that history there. And, you know, and then they'll show up the stat on ESPN, right? The last five teams, the the team with the worst record has beaten the team with the better record in this rivalry and things like that. So we're going to wipe all that out, all of that. History and all the things that the fans remember in our memory bank, and just going to start fresh with UCLA and Northwestern.
4: Yeah, I'm. I'm totally yeah, with you. Honestly, um, I was. Yeah, I was. I was talking to actually, I was talking to Kim Jordan in the locker room yesterday during our open media period, and we started talking about conferences and uh, super conferences and all of that. And I was saying how when I was. Uh, a teenager, it, it, the uh, we all SEC fans always felt like the SEC was disrespected. I guess you know it's kind of like the SEC just couldn't get the respect that um, some of these other conferences got. And you know that was at the time when USC was uh, just so successful and also being talked about constantly. Like LSU fans still hold a grudge because. It was almost as if the 2003 BCS National Championship didn't even happen. That's how little it was talked about. And so uh, the conference pride was so much that people would chant SEC at games. And, you know, obviously things have changed, especially as Nick Saban going back to Alabama. I mean, that's that's long gone. But I say this to say I, I don't feel that way anymore because now you have these huge conferences and there's no like regional pride anymore like the regional makeup of these conferences don't make sense and so like you know okay now texas is joining the sec i mean and and you speak about rivalries well i mean the texas and texas a&m rivalry was destroyed a few years back and that made me sad as a college football fan because that was such a great rivalry and so it does make me jaded towards college football because I don't feel the excitement that I used to with some of these things. I know it sounds like a long rant, but I, I guarantee you there are a ton of other people that, that feel the same way. It's just, it takes the fun out of it, I think, at least in my mind.
1: Absolutely. No, I don't think that was a long rant. I think that you, you know, was very well said. And 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 that's the thing, I think, a lot of times when when you – the first thing that comes to mind when you're thinking of of rivalry is the biggest rival, but the reality of it is in college football, if you've been playing, you know, the same team for 50 years, every single year, there's going to be a unique aspect to that matchup to that rivalry in of itself, right? Like it doesn't always have to be, I'm going to go back to the West coast. It doesn't always have to be UCLA and USC. It doesn't always have to be Cal and Stanford. Yeah. Those are the biggest rival's, excuse me, on the schedule uh, for each of these teams. But that's not, that's not necessarily the only rival. Like I said, you know, you have like UCLA and Oregon State. You have UCLA and Washington State. The exact same thing dynamic happens there, where typically if one of the teams is good, they're probably going to lose to the other team. And that's why you don't see either of these teams in the national title talk. A lot of times it's because the, the worst of the two teams won – and or they knock almost, each like, other out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny because usually that type of thing happens. Teams like on cloud nine, they get knocked off, and then they lose like three more games the rest of the the year. And people are like, "Oh well, see, they weren't a title contender anyway," which may be true, but it takes a lot of steam out of these college football teams, especially if you haven't been there in a long time. And I'm not talking about Alabama, who's got the staying power. Who even if they do shrug, uh, have a loss, of will shrug it off, you know. But Point being, it's those those are some of the things that are fun as fans to be able to recall and talk about. That's part of the excitement for that matchup. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe after 10, 15 years, there will be new rivalries and new excitement. But does college football want to sit around and wait for a couple of decades for those memories to start accumulating before people, you know, get into it? because nowadays there's so many other things for entertainment people are pretty fickle you know so i don't know uh i'm not very excited about it i'm still gonna watch obviously i'm still gonna tune in you know but i'm not like thrilled about it at all and i uh I, i wish that one of these you know conference presidents or or somebody that's got some power says kind of like not necessarily enough is enough but maybe just to say you know what? We opted not to do this because we respect the rivalries of our fans, and we want to keep them intact and keep all the history intact. You know, right?
4: And but they. Uh, yeah, they I'm, they, I'm they the kind of person, teams, by the so way. Much now,
1: yeah, and by the way, I'm that guy that actually liked it when you had the Big Ten and Pac-10 in the in the Rose Bowl. You know, I like that.
4: Yeah, I was joking. You know, I, was I don't even know how, how many teams that. are in the Pac-12 anymore.
1: Yeah, but I remember when it was just, like, like, literally the winner of the Pac-10, winner of the Big Ten. Yeah. By the way, just to remind you, the uh, Big Ten had a rule that the same team couldn't go twice in a row. So, uh, oh, I didn't know that. that. Created, I, yeah, I didn't even agree with that rule, but they had that rule for a while. Um, but that's how much the, the Rose Bowl was uh, – kind of the Holy grail at the end of the year. I mean, you had a very successful season if you got to the Rose Bowl. You know, you still do right now, but it's for very different reasons. And you get there through computer models and polling and the whole sort of other stuff and not necessarily being the conference champion. You know, so again, that's a part of the history too that we're kind of abolishing in terms of how you get to these, uh, you know, big you know, postseason, if you want to call them that games. And so, I don't know, you, you start toying with it too much and it kind of loses on what makes it special in the first place and what people loved in the first place. And you're trying to get them to fall in love once again uh, with a lot of these concepts. And I think that's a gamble.
4: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it does make me sad that um, I feel so jaded about college football. Um, Because, you know, going back to LSU's 2003 National Championship, I was 13 years old that year, like, staying up watching um, Notre Dame play Hawaii because it mattered with BCS points for LSU to possibly get into the national title, which sounds ridiculous. But, like, I was that into it. You know, I loved it so much and it's part of the reason like loving football that much is part of the reason why I became a sports writer. But now, you know, we have these super conferences and to me that just that concept bores me. And even just little things like a a fun part of college football is the fans that are able to travel like getting to go to these other stadiums that they love that, you know, like for LSU fans, they really like going to Georgia. A lot of people do. It's such a great stadium, great atmosphere. And now that, ro- that they keep adding teams and that the rotational schedule keeps changing, I don't know how many years it is, but the time span between LSU going to visit Georgia now is is huge. So you could not go to your favorite stadium for a decade. I mean, and just things like that, Like to me that's boring. A conference is so huge that you barely play the, the other teams in it. I mean, look, we could probably talk about this forever, um, but... Yeah, how do you expect fans to fall in love with a sport that is so, that was so focused on tradition, but now that tradition changes every few years? I don't know. It's just a, it's a bummer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Have you, by the way, seen the uh, the Big East in college basketball and the number of teams that are in there? I think it's like seventy five teams. It looks like when you look at the <laughs> the standings, I'm like, what the heck is this? But uh, we're, we're, we're getting there in, in college football. It looks like, uh, right. you know, the later here, uh, you I used to make a fun, fun of the
4: big 10 because it didn't have 10 teams. And like now that's yeah. the
1: norm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Isn't that funny? Uh, do you have time to stick with us? Cause we haven't even talked about the scenes. We haven't even talked about the uh, upcoming big races weekend. You have a few more minutes on the other side of the commercial break. We could talk about those things.
4: I do because the, the whoever the fans listening have to they've had to listen to me ramble about tradition and LSU for a while. So um, <laughs> of course I would stick around to talk about talk about something else. Well, I tell you
1: what, it's, this this show is unscripted. It doesn't follow any necessarily any guideline or or uh, path for what we need to talk about. So sometimes the best moments here are these unscripted. You call them rants. I call them uh, nuggets of, of going down memory lane, which, which are very beautiful and uh, you put them also very well. So let's take a quick commercial time out though. We'll come back. We'll talk to some NFL. We'll talk a little bit of horse racing with Kat Terrell from ESPN right after this.
2: Today's Hot Topics.
0: Back on the Mike Abadie show and we're
1: continuing our conversation. You know, I I was corrected and I, I'm glad that I've been corrected because I've been making a mistake uh, calling my friend Kat here, Kat Terrell. I've got a good friend of mine who's got the same last name, pronounces it Terrell, Terrell, but it's actually Terrell, Kat Terrell. So I'm glad that uh I've been corrected during the break. I apologize to Kat and to all the listeners for misguiding you Uh Probably, you know, if you've been coming on for the last two, three years, I've been saying it wrong every single time, Kat. So a big apology for that. Um, But nonetheless, I'm glad that you corrected me, and I'm glad that we have you on for a little bit longer. Let's talk some NFL talk here. Um This Saints team is really interesting. This Saints team, um, you know, when I look at it, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, Carolina has been in this rebuild. Maybe they're a little bit better. They were a trendy pick last year before the year started. People kind of have jumped off the the excitement about them. has kind of waned in terms of sports writers, you know, having them as their sexy pick for the, for, for the season. That was the case last year, not so much this year. The Falcons definitely uh, don't look like a team that's going to contend. You know, the Buccaneers, they've got some injuries in the O-line, you know, um, it's great. It. Brady doesn't seem to get old, but I've been saying probably seven years in a row now, this is probably the year that he's going to get old. But I kind of think that the Saints are maybe being a little bit overlooked. would like to hear what you think, because they have a top-tier defense. And, you know, I think their offense has a lot of weapons. You know, obviously, I think a big key to that will be the health of uh, Michael Thomas. But, I mean, we've got a quarterback that's thrown for, you know, what four thousand yards and thirty touchdowns before could do it again? The only issue before was just the one mistake or two mistakes that you'd make every game, but it wasn't because he couldn't throw the ball. He could get the we could move the ball, get it downfield. I think this offense has a chance to be special. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Saints and where? And do you think people are kind of sleeping on them overall?
4: I do think so, and I think that would probably be different if. If Brady hadn't come back, which obviously is a huge uh, game changer. I mean, I'm not discounting that. But, you know, it's interesting how the Saints are viewed here in Louisiana versus maybe outside because this team was a pretty decent team last year that had a very real chance to go to the playoffs but had some insane circumstances like, you know, having to move to Texas for three weeks. Uh, They had two games that were severely impacted by COVID, uh, including Sean Payton not coaching against against the Bucs, the game they won, the game where they had 20 players out against Miami. uh, A crazy amount of injuries. Their offensive line barely even had any snaps together outside of the first game. So there were a lot of things that went very wrong, and yet they were still one half of football away from making the playoffs. Um, and then a game didn't go in their favor. So I kind of look at this team that's very similar to last year's team. But So I say all that to say it's very interesting how the national perception was, oh, this team is going to plummet and you know win six games. And obviously a big part of that is John Payton leaving and he, he's been there so long, people don't really know what this team looks like without him. So I think the biggest questions for this team are really in their aging players. Their best stars are are getting older, like Cam Jordan and and Demario Davis and a couple other players. So really, it's about what they can get out of them and if they have a good season this year. I think things have taken a turn this week, at least uh, in terms of perception. Marcus May getting arrested, them trading C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But I do think, like you said, this offense could be much better than it was last year. James Winston is healthy again. Michael Thomas dealing with a hamstring injury, but he did come back from the ankle. So there are a lot of reasons to be positive. Uh, we'll just kind of have to see how it all plays out, which I can't wait to starting next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? You know, um, you, you mentioned Peyton um, in, in some of the conversations with guys that I've had um, it seems kind of like business as usual. Um, people seem to, you know, be very responsive and, and, and liking the coaching staff. What do you think of Dennis Allen so far? What's kind of been your impression thus far? Is it kind of kind of what, what, what some of the guys are saying? It's just business as usual, you know, not a whole heck of a lot different than the than years past and, and that type of thing. I mean, there's always going to be a different feel around when, whenever you have a different head coach. But uh, I think for the most part, you know, guys are happy, confident, they believe. And, um, and I think that those are the most important things. What say you?
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it is largely the same, and that's exactly what the Saints wanted. Part of that does go into what I was saying about aging players, though. I mean, sometimes when you try to keep everything the same, it's not always a good thing. I can't say yet until we actually see how it plays out, whether it's a good thing or not, but I understand why they wanted to do that because they've been so successful with this structure in place. They didn't see a need to make sweeping changes. I think Dennis Allen passed a very important test last year when they went to Tampa as an 11 point underdog with their, at that point, third quarterback of the season, or maybe Taysom counted as the second because he got hurt and then came back and, they got hurt again. That's, that's how crazy that season was. There was four quarterbacks that played. And they yeah. beat them because their defense was so good. I mean, they made Tom Brady so mad he threw a tablet. So that's a huge test. I think Dennis is different than Sean. I had a great conversation with him about this last week for a story I'm doing. Sean is notoriously um, – he's called game day, Sean. You've probably heard this. He is notoriously fiery on game days. <laughs> uh, yelling at officials, if a player messes up, they will know about it, uh, things like that. And Dennis Allen has a philosophy that he's going to be more fired up during the practice week and on game days he's more relaxed because the players already have a lot of pressure on their shoulders and he doesn't want to put more on them, if that makes sense. So that that's a big change, and it, it's kind of interesting to see how their philosophies differ in that way, but in many other ways they're largely going to be the same because they've worked together for so long.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's very well put. And I think that's a a, a good way to to kind of uh, look at it and think about this upcoming season. And uh, yeah, Sean Payton is uh, is definitely a a fiery competitor. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, So the Saints get to the playoffs if what happens?
4: If Michael Thomas stays healthy, if Jameis Winston plays well, and if they get another good year out of Cam Jordan, DeMario Davis, and Tyron Matthew, those are a lot of things. But those are the core and, things that need to happen.
1: And they don't make the playoffs if what happens? I guess the opposite of what you just said, then right?
4: Um, they don't. Well, I mean, sure, but... I, probably the biggest thing will probably be Jameis. I mean, it always is, right? The quarterback is always so True. important. And a True. team went, that went through four quarterbacks last year um, clearly put a lot of importance on that position this year by going out and signing Andy Dalton because they didn't want that to happen again. They wanted a backup quarterback they could trust completely. And Dalton has actually had a really good training camp. And I think if he did have to come in and play, I think he could be very successful in this offense, and so that's probably a big relief to them. But yeah, I mean, it probably starts and ends with with Jameis. Um, I mean, now I could go into the defense again, but you know, I I have pretty confident that their defense is going to be good, very good again this year.
1: You you know what, you know what gave me. I've respected their defense for a long time, but you know what gave me kind of a newfound respect for them? You mentioned the the four quarterbacks multiple times in in our conversation so far. And uh, uh, obviously, uh, for for those who don't follow the Saints, but you might remember this, the fourth quarterback that Cat's referring to uh, played during that Monday Night Football game when they had to use their number four. Um, And one thing that I saw, regardless of who was quarterback. Was that their defense took it as a challenge? Like it doesn't matter if we're on our tenth quarterback, we're going to win this game because we're a world-class defense and we're going to keep our team in it from beginning to end. And I, I liked that how hard they fought. You know, there was there was no there was no other attitude but taking it on as a challenge. That's kind of how I felt at least. You know, you know what I mean.
4: Yeah, I think the only game where you could really say – well, maybe two games. You could say the starting defense let them down. And I might be forgetting. As things blur together. The Bills game, and I think offensively, I think they were on their third quarterback at that point. Uh, I think Trevor Simeon was playing. The Bills game, the defense didn't play well. And then the uh, game against the Giants where they allowed the Giants to come back last minute. Again, weird circumstances, yeah, and I wasn't surprised to see that happen after they'd been on the road for a, a month. I mean, that that happens yeah. to teams. They get they get emotionally exhausted, and um, very underrated thing people don't really consider when understanding like why some why a team might perform that way. Yeah, no,
1: no, they, you make a lot of sense. That Giants game was very frustrating. Of course, we gave up that lead and and had every reason in the world to win that game. And games like that make a difference. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, we're we're almost out of time here. Wanted to really quickly get your take on the TVG Pacific Classic. For those who don't know who don't know, Kat has covered horse racing professionally uh, in in her uh, uh, she's young, but in her long career so far, that uh, that's uh, over in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans at the uh, uh, fairgrounds um, in in. in house handicapper I think that's kind of probably something along the lines of what they called you um, and their TV uh, internal TV uh, handicapper um, kind of butchering what the titles are I'm, I'm very big on titles if you haven't noticed um, and if I don't know them I kind of just start throwing out words that I think sound like they make sense uh, in-house uh, reporter handicapper <laughs> but anyways, um you do know your horse racing is really what I'm getting at okay In in 30 seconds or less, can flight line one-to-five favorite be beat?
4: Well, I think so because he's never gone this far before. Uh, So if you want to beat him, that's what you have to think about. Um, Can he get the distance? And if you think he can't, then maybe you look at the next morning line favorite, which is Country Grammar. I don't think this is a good betting race. Six horses, one-to-five favorite. To me, it's just not a great race to bet on. But I think if Flyline's going to be beat, which is very hard, even Bob Baffert says that, it would be because he can't get, get the distance. And I don't think that he's shown that he can't. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. But I do wish it was a bigger field. That would make it more exciting.
1: Absolutely. Well, Baffert's been known to employ some gamesmanship here and there. We'll see if he really feels that way or not. But I agree with you. I think that's the, the horse that could win if, uh, if Flightline can't get the distance. Kat, really quickly, what's your social media handle? How can people follow you?
4: Uh, you can follow me at cat underscore Terrell, that's T-E-R-R-E-L-L, uh, and my Saints coverage at ESPN.com.
1: Kat, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. It's always a fun conversation with you. Take care. Good luck this year, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on. Maybe Breeders' Cup time, but definitely if the Saints are in playoff mode.
4: Yep, I would love that. That sounds great to me.
1: Thank you so much.
4: That is Kat Carroll,
1: ESPN. Very lucky to have have her on the show. Appreciate her coming on, spending a few minutes with us. That is all the time that we have. Thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Without you, there is no show. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.